Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Karen Bodnar. I am a pediatric hospitalist at Anova Children's Hospital and an assistant professor of pediatrics at Virginia Commonwealth University. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced and edited by The Milk Mob and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? So today we're going to talk about obesity, and we've talked about obesity several times, but, you know, the story just keeps evolving to, to really understand uh, what's going on with the connection between breastfeeding and obesity. Yeah, it's really true. I picked a study today that it's, um, it's pretty simple and the results will go over quickly, but the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I... Um, I, in the background of the paper, it summarized some of the other literature that has come out about um, the association of reduced obesity with breastfeeding, and um, I was interested in that background and thought it might be a great summary for some of our listeners. Sounds good. So the article that I picked um, from the Breastfeeding Medicine Journal from um, March 2017 is titled, Breastfeeding Reduces Childhood Obesity Risks by Liang Wang, Candace Collins, um, and some of their colleagues. This study examined the effects of breastfeeding and its duration on the development of childhood obesity from 24 months through the sixth grade. The authors used U.S. longitudinal data collected from 1,234 children. And child height and weight were measured six times at the ages of two years, three years, 54 months, and in grade one, three, and six. Hmm. And they had data um, that um, told them whether or not those babies were breastfed at one month and at six months. Um, And this was not exclusive breastfeeding. This was just any breastfeeding at Hmm. those ages. Mm -hmm. Um, The logistic regression that they did showed that breastfeeding at one month was associated with a 53% decrease in the risks for childhood obesity in first grade and sixth grade, respectively. Um, The statistics that they did showed that breastfeeding at one month was associated with 53% um, decreased risk of childhood obesity in the first grade and 47% decrease in the sixth grade. Wow. As far as duration goes, um, babies that were breastfed for more than six months versus never breastfed were associated with a decreased risk for childhood obesity of 42%. And those are significant numbers. There's a lot in here about um, the far greater percentage of breastfeeding in the higher educated married um, white population versus um, the more socioeconomic economically challenged um, moms. And I think that that's something that we have seen over and over again. It's hard to control for those factors. Um, But when they went into the the background, they talked a bit about some of the studies that have come before them. So research has found um, an inverse relationship between duration of breastfeeding and childhood obesity. A recent meta-analysis reviewing studies from 12 different countries concluded that breastfeeding was significantly associated with a reduced risk of childhood obesity. 
The results showed a 22% lower risk for those who were ever breastfed compared to those who were never breastfed. And those breastfed for more than seven months had the most significant decrease in risk. A similar review um, investigated how breastfeeding affects body composition of infants using 15 studies um, from a systematic review and 11 for a meta-analysis, and it was determined that within the first year of life, formula can alter the normal trajectory of adipose. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. World Health Organization um, assessed 71 studies. Its pooled analysis showed children who were breastfed had reduced odds of becoming overweight or obese. For those aged 1 through 9 years um, and aged 10 through 19, Another study examined the effect of breastfeeding on the weight status of two to four-year-olds in the United States and reported those who were breastfed were more likely to have a healthy weight status at age two and four. And a Chinese study concluded that those breastfed exclusively for three to five and greater than six months had lowered risk of becoming overweight by 13% and 37% respectively compared to those breastfed for less than one month. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I was particularly interested in this research is that some other studies have shown that breastfeeding and childhood obesity have a smaller and significant relationship. Um, for example, one contradicting study um, conducted by the China Family Panel Studies found that there was no significant difference on the effect of breastfeeding for obesity or excessive weight. And the differences in study findings on the relationship between breastfeeding and childhood obesity risks could be attributed, according to these authors, to differences in study methodologies and analysis. For example, adjustments for confounding factors such as socioeconomic status, maternal BMI, and maternal smoking, um, which they found made a significant difference in their study. Definitions were different, sample size, and not distinguishing between exclusive and partial breastfeeding could have also made a difference. In addition, many previous studies defined obesity based on self-reported BMI and not on a standard measurement of height and weight. Lastly, um, a series of more appropriate methods for studying the relationship between breastfeeding and obesity has been established more recently. And so... Well, it's hard to compare more historic studies with the more recent ones. Right, right. I'm always surprised, like when I look at um, like Cochrane, for example, when they which does systematic reviews, and they include a whole lot of studies, and then they talk about you know first they look at all these studies and then they have their criteria for what studies are going to include, but sometimes they include studies where the criteria still are just not that great. They still don't control for the definition of breastfeeding or they still don't control for factors like, you know, maternal education or, you know, things like that. I, I think mm-hmm. that, um, you know, we really need, you know, these larger meta-analyses and systematic reviews to be super clean as we get more and more into, um, you know, but just better study techniques. You know, we're just learning about what needs to be done in terms of... Yeah. But I think that sometimes breastfeeding studies get done by people who don't really know the literature that well because they come from other fields like endocrine or like OBGYN or something like that. Um, and so then you end up with these studies that are just not as good. Yeah, and sometimes like this study, although I was impressed, I have to say, when you read through all the statistics, I mean, there are all sorts of things they took into account, like birth weight, actually in the group of 
children who were breastfed, they had a higher birth weight overall, um, which, you know, you would think that they would be more likely to end up bigger later on. Um, and so, you know, they're really paying attention to those small details. But the data set they used was older. It was several decades old. And actually, breastfeeding rates in this country have increased significantly since this data was collected. Um, but I'm trying to do a project right now with um, data that was collected for a nutritional study, and I was not involved when they came up with the orig original survey questions. Mm -hmm. And there's so many questions that I want to ask that I can't ask because the there's the data isn't in the data set. Right, right. Yeah, that's what, that's what happens when you're handed a data set and you're not allowed to like ask what questions, you know, like what questions. Yeah, been... and you know they did a six month survey and they didn't do a three month survey, so I can't really look at exclusive breastfeeding at all because a six month survey was collected between six and eight months, right. and so everybody's taking solids. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that's why you have to look at the literature carefully and, you know, know what you're looking for, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the truth is relative, right? Yeah, it yeah. is, and it's fascinating the things that get published, and then, you know, sometimes later there are corrections or retractions, and yeah, hopefully just... most people are doing it in good faith, but still, there, everyone yeah. makes mistakes. Yeah, there can be fake news in breastfeeding, that's for sure. <laughs> 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 no politics on the podcast. All right. What did you want to talk about? So I want to talk about um, cortisol in uh, human milk. Uh, so this was really interesting. This was a study that was published in the Obesity Journal in December of 2016, entitled Cortisol in Human Milk Predicts Child BMI. And it was authored by Jennifer Han Holbrook, Tran Bowley, Anna Chung, and others. So we know, as you stated, that breastfeeding is associated with lower rates of childhood obesity. And we also know that human milk contains cortisol, which is known to play uh, an important role in glucose metabolism and storage in general uh, for, for people, for all of us. Um, but now they're starting to recognize that maybe cortisol in human milk has an effect on glucose metabolism and storage in infants as well. So they were interested to find out whether or not early exposure to the cortisol in breast milk helps to modulate the infant's body mass index over the first two years of life. So what they did is they, uh, so first of all, I want to mention that the glucocorticoid cortisol um, that's in breast milk is coming from mom's blood. And uh, interestingly, it is absorbed from the infant's gut and it also can get into the infant brain. So, because sometimes we say when, well, sometimes we say, well, wait a minute, hormones are broken down in the intestine. How do we know it's absorbed? Well, the author states that there's evidence that it is absorbed, so that's important. This was a study of 51 mothers uh, with 21 bo 25 boys and 26 girls. And what they did is they measured the heights and weights of the infants and toddlers at three months, six months, 12 months, and 24 months. And then they just measured the breast milk cortisol at one point in time, which was at three months uh, postpartum. And interestingly, they found that the higher the milk cortisol level at three months, the lower the body mass index percent gain over the first two years of life for girls, but not so much for boys. Meaning, like if, um, you know, there's a, there's a growth curve for body mass index, and girls lower the, the cortisol 
um, the higher that they, they, they rise in their BMI, they actually become fatter. Hmm. And so um, by 24 months, they found that the children exposed to more cortisol during breastfeeding, you know, yeah, well, throughout breastfeeding, um, they had lower BMIs as compared to children who were exposed to less cortisol at three months. And um, again, this was really more specific to girls and really not noticed so much for boys. And interestingly, the other thing that's super interesting is that uh, in terms of height, that breast milk cortisol level correlates with faster height growth. And these kids were taller, these girls were taller and leaner at age two if they were breastfed than if they, if, if they were, well, everyone was breastfed, if they were exposed to higher cortisol levels as compared to lower cortisol levels. And there was no there was no association between the duration that they breastfed um, or whether or not they breastfed exclusively. So that was interesting because it was just that exposure in the first three months that's, that seemed to make a difference. So they basically concluded that cortisol in breast milk helps to provide early metabolic programming and higher um, breast milk cortisol levels can predict a lower body mass index and a, higher, and a greater height at age two for girls. Um, and the reason why this is important is because other studies show that the body mass index at two predicts adult obesity. So if a child has a high BMI, like over the 85th percentile at two, which is, you know, overweight and then over what, 90 or 95th is obesity. 95th. 95th is obesity, that that predicts adult obesity. Yeah, that was one thing they found in my study also was that Basically, if there was obesity in those, you know, 24-month-olds, the, it got worse and worse and worse in first and sixth grade. Interesting. They're already on that path. Right, right. So, so were these morning cortisols in all the participants? Because cortisol varies throughout varies. the day. It varies, yeah. It may have been, I can't remember if they were salivary. Like at our institution, we do salivary uh, cortisols at midnight. And it was sta- it was standardized. Oh. I can't remember exactly at what time. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're always talking about the biological plausibility, right? And it's it's an interesting idea. I think. I think I'm waiting. I'm going to wait for a little more research on this topic, right? Particularly well, considering that the boys didn't seem to have the same effect. Exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. It seems like it had a bigger effect on girls, and. Um, they also mentioned that there are some studies showing that breast milk cortisol plays a role in the maturation of the intestines and also has um, in the breast milk cortisol seems to have an effect on the temperament of girls, but not so much on boys. And there was, there was that, um, there was a, is it Dr. Hindi who's from Arizona? I heard her speak at, at uh, ILCA last year, 2016. And she's doing some work on cortisol and infant temperament hmm. um, and finds a correlation with cortisol and temperament. Yeah. And then the other thing that's important to understand is that the amount that a woman gains, um, the amount of weight that a woman gains in pregnancy actually has a, is a strong predictor of how much cortisol she'll have in her milk. So the less weight gain that she has, she has higher cortisol levels. And so this might be like... Mm, this might epigenetics. be the epigenetics and also, you know, this uh, sort of link the programming because we know that people, you know, we, we see kids who are overweight and the parents are overweight and we think, well, they probably just, you know, feed them lousy food, but, you know, or inappropriate foods, but really the bottom line is that there are some genetics to obesity. And, oh, um, absolutely. yeah. 
And um, so the question is, is this one of those factors, you know, where um, if a woman, you know, is naturally lean, gains 25 pounds during pregnancy, so not really gaining excessively, is she going to have a higher cortisol levels? And then does, is that part of the programming that, that um, allows her child to have, you know, a normal BMI? Um, but then there's other factors, too, that the authors pointed out that can have an influence on breast milk cortisol levels, particularly psychological stress can increase it. Well, um, that's what I was thinking about when you first started was actually, you know, I I had, and I've heard this many times, partly because I practice in Southern California, but there is a cultural belief that I have found primarily in my Hispanic um, patients that people, mamas worry that if they're depressed or they're angry, that it makes their milk um, unsafe or bad for their babies. Have you ever heard this? Oh, you know, but this was, yeah, well, I have heard that, but I've also heard that, um, you know, back in the, back in the early 20th century, you know, we heard this as a reason for milk being bad, you know, and then yeah, yeah. you should go to and formula. I, and, and yeah. I don't, you know, hearing this story doesn't make me say, oh, yes, they should not breastfeed. But it, it makes me, you know, think about like, where does that come from? And I also thought it's worth mentioning because one of the nurses I was talking to had never heard that before mm-hmm. this week. And I thought, oh, sure, there are probably some of our listeners who have not heard about that. It's a pretty common reason that uh, mamas have told me they didn't want to breastfeed before. And when I say to them, no, your, your milk is still really, really healthy for your baby. A lot of them are encouraged to. Right. 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 But it would be interesting to know, I agree with you to understand where that comes from and what people have noticed over the generations, you know, in terms of like um, infant temperament um, and body weight and things like that. You know, it goes all, all the time. A lot of times when moms have postpartum depression, pediatricians and family docs are the ones that have the opportunity to see that because they're seeing the mom so frequently with the babies. Mm-hmm. And I found in the past that sometimes I pick up on it, not as much because of what the mom says, but because the baby is less interactive than a typical you know, two-month-old, because Mm -hmm. the mom has such a flat affect, she's not spending that time smiling at her baby and interacting with the baby face-to-face, and the babies haven't learned to smile as quickly. Right. Yeah, they're not as animated, and they're not always looking at their mother because they don't get that reinforcement. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sad. So, um, yeah, so that that was it about obesity for today. But I want to mention one thing that I was reading that I just wanted to bring up. Um, you know how a lot of women talk about like, oh, if I breastfeed, my breasts are going to sag. And do, do you ever yes. wonder? Do you ever wonder why the breasts sag after breastfeeding a couple of babies? Well, they've been pregnant a couple of times. Well, so here's the I thing. I always was told it was the the pregnancy, not the breastfeeding. Oh, okay. Well, it's well. So if you're pregnant, your breasts automatically undergo differentiation, right? So Mm -hmm. what ends up happening, so I was just reading this article about breast changes, and actually what happens is that when the alveoli are developing during pregnancy, the fat that surrounds that glandular tissue starts to die off a bit in order to provide room for the alveoli. And so every time this happens, there's some death of that fat. So I think it's just that like loss of fat and maybe the maybe the, you know, the tissue, the supporting tissue, you know, between the fat layers. I wonder if Mm. that's really what's causing that um, loss of um, 
you know, what, what you would call perkiness or trigger, yeah. whatever we would call. Well, and, and the progesterone's effect on the ligaments, I thought, also was part of it, but I don't, that may I be don't know. True. We're going to have to have more of these mammary biologists come and talk to us. That sounds like a really good idea. All right. Well, get your thinking cap on. And, it was um, fun talking to you, as yeah, always. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. Sounds good. Bye. For questions regarding this podcast, contact us through themilkmob.org. We have other educational projects going on there, such as the Clinical Question of the Week and our Outpatient Breastfeeding Champion programs. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Facebook page, where you can also share comments and questions with your co-listeners. To learn more about the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, please visit www.bfmed.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you in a few weeks.